Hey, good morning, everybody. Man, you guys showed up today. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Give yourselves a hand for being at church today. I mean, the truth is you didn't have to come to church. Nobody's taking attendance. You could go anywhere you wanted to. So thanks for, thanks for being here. And if you're online, kudos to you as well. Um, thanks for spending time with us as community and with God. We're really excited about that. Um, those were a ton of announcements, I know. Make sure you're getting email newsletters. That's important as well because you didn't remember any of that. Um, but the one thing that really hits me, Fred, you guys, um, you've got a new venue for Foothills Campus, and that place is amazing. I saw pictures of it from last night, which is really cool, guys. Um, so we've been trying to plant a church down in LA for the last... <laughs> It feels like forever, uh, for at least almost three years now. And um, I really believe God's starting to line some things up, which is really incredible. And Josh, our campus pastor down there, is doing a phenomenal job. So we're excited. I'm really excited for you guys. Um, so anyway, thanks for being here today. But, but if you're from L.A., go to L.A. next week, because that's going to be a cool place to hang out for sure. Um, lastly, we're in our seventh week of our witness series. It finishes next week. Pastor Karen will be finishing up the series for us next week, which we're really excited about. I'll be going out to North Carolina to be with Sam and his family with the memorial for his dad, but also to speak at a young adult weekend there that he wasn't able to do. So um, thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that and support my friend and his family with that. But make sure you don't miss next week because it's going to be phenomenal. And today we are talking talking about um, this idea of witness, right? And we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about the African witness that comes from the African church that we don't really know as much as we should about. We got to spend time with the Ethiopian last week. And this week, we are going to be talking about the witness that comes before the Old before the New Testament. We know that all of Scripture speaks of Jesus. And we also know that Everything can be a witness. But what we understand is that Scripture has been speaking of Jesus since the very beginning of time. As you know, Scripture begins with, you know, in the beginning. And if you, if you read John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We understand that Jesus was there in the beginning. But we also understand from creation, Genesis, that in the beginning, you know, the Spirit hovered over the water. We know that the Trinity was present at the very beginning of Scripture and is definitely present at the very end of Scripture as well. And while we're not going to go back and look at all those texts today, obviously, we are going to spend about seven weeks in the Old Testament, starting in June, in a series called Christophanies, where we see the, um, the apocalypse or the un veiling of Jesus in the Old Testament. So this may be a little bit of a foreshadow of that today. But one of the things we recognize is the reason why Jesus shows up in the Old Testament in so many prevalent ways is that it's important if someone is to hear the witness of Jesus or truly just experience Jesus, that soil has to be prepared. Have you ever had someone try to sell you something at your front door? No, that doesn't happen anymore? Or are you better at putting that no solicitor sign up? Because I swear I'm going to do that every time somebody tries to sell me something at my front door, and I always forget. 
But I cannot stand it when people come to my front door and try and sell me things. One time, one time, we had a, um, we had a vacuum salesman. And I know that sounds like I grew up in the 1950s, but I swear this was when we lived in Loma Linda, probably 2006 or 2007. And this person shows up and has a, has a vacuum and said, hi, would you like to hear about my vacuum? And I'm like, no. And this is the one time my wife and I disagreed on something. She's like, let him come in. I was like, really? Okay. So he comes in and he starts telling us about this vacuum cleaner, this $3,600 vacuum cleaner. No dirt is worth that much. My cars are not worth that much. I mean, come on. I'm like, well, are you crazy? And he, so he's showing us stuff. And you know, one thing you should know about vacuum cleaner salesmen, um, their vacuum works better when there's dirt. And so, you know, I always bring a little dirt in. Um, but sometime during the conversation, I, I, the whole time, I'm like, There's no, I'm not going to buy a $3,600 vacuum cleaner. And so I'm saying no, I'm saying no. And at one point, my son comes down. He was younger. And the guy goes, do you love your son? <laughs> and everything in me wants to say no. Just to like, <laughs> you know, be a punk. But, but you, you can't because your son might hear it. And that's years of therapy. Um, for both of us, probably. So, so I was like, well, yes, of course. And he's like, if you love your son, you'd make sure he grew up in the cleanest environment possible. I'm like, get out, get out, we're done. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Before I leave, what if I sold it to you for $1,800? I'm like, so how much is it? Is it $3,600 or $1,800? He's like, yes. I'm like, is it $600? He's like, maybe. I'm like, get out of my house. You know, part of the problem was this. I didn't know this dude. I, I had no clue who this person was. He's in my house. He's now trying to sell me something and making assumptions about me. Like he did not prepare the soil correctly. I was not going to buy from him. Now, if somebody that I know says, hey, I got the best vacuum imaginable, I'd be like, tell me more because I'm actually kind of into vacuums. <laughs> I'm not into vacuums, but I do like a clean house, Right. It's different when you've been prepared. It's different when you know somebody. It's different when you've, when you've earned the right to speak something into somebody's life. This vacuum cleaner salesman had not. But see, what Scripture has been doing, Scripture had been preparing Israel to recognize Jesus. And it had been doing it for thousands of years. People are, not already always, people are not always ready to hear about Jesus. And sometimes we kind of thrust Jesus upon them before they've been prepared by the Holy Spirit or been prepared by us. You got to remember, it took like 39 different books for Israel to be ready to receive Jesus. And they still, many of them missed it. All of the Old Testament echoes the call that the Messiah is coming. But when we think about even like the Midrash and the Talmud, all this other writing, this rabbinical writing that comes around the Old Testament, they were all preparing Israel for the apocalypse of Jesus, the revealing of who Jesus was. And to recognize that Jesus was not just a flash in the pan, he was someone that they had been prepared for. So I'm gonna ask you this question today, because if it doesn't make sense in our lives, it doesn't make sense. Is God preparing somebody to receive the gospel in your life from you, from your witness? 
Is God already doing that? Because I tell you what, we have an, an alive and active and moving God. So God, through the Holy Spirit, is already working on people's hearts. And it may be working on people's hearts who are in your life. Because we've been talking about how you give witness to what Jesus has done in your life. So, so can you recognize where God is already working? How the foundation is being laid for the witness that you will ultimately give to this person who God has placed on your heart? There's a few ways that we can know the foundation is being laid. One is familiarity, right? How are they being put in places and in conversations with you and with other people that makes them at least familiar with the concept and the idea of Jesus, I think, I think in America, we have a tendency to think, well, everybody's heard of Jesus, right? Because we're a relatively Christian country. This is obviously all over. So we've probably, people have probably always heard of Jesus. I go back to a story that my friend Eddie Hippolyte told me when he was doing work in inner city London. And he was doing this workshop and he's, he's, he's speaking to these young men. And, um, and, and after one of his talks, a guy came up and he said, Pastor Eddie, I love what you're saying. I think it's amazing what you're doing, but I don't understand why you're cursing. And he's like, well, I'm not cursing. I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't curse. And he goes, no, you're cursing because you keep talking and then all of a sudden you say Jesus Christ and I don't understand why you're cursing. <laughs> That's the only time this guy had heard the words Jesus Christ, right? Now, we may have a different problem in America the problem that we might have in America is that the name of Jesus Christ has been so abused for so many reasons that when people hear it, they have a tendency to, to step away because it's been used for many nefarious means rather than as salvation of humankind and as a unifying factor. So it's possible we have a different issue than Pastor Eddie had. But how the, the point still stands. How are people being prepared through familiarity with the gospel story as well as with the story of your life because you'll ultimately be the witness for them. The second way that, it, that that foundation is laid through the Holy Spirit is proximity. Like you'll find yourself hanging out with people you didn't necessarily plan on hanging out with. Like maybe you're doing a job and, and, and you get a project and you're in a project with somebody that God has placed on your heart and you didn't necessarily mean for it to happen, but now you're with that person. What places do these people find themselves in where they can hear kind of the gospel? We've talked about divine appointments. How is God working those divine appointments in your life to be a witness to them and to help prepare the soil? Before you ever get to a gospel presentation, if we call it that. How are you being part of the preparation of the soil for these people? And then, and I mentioned this last week, there's, there's familiarity, there's, there's proximity, but then there's this idea of curiosity, right? What is leading these people to be more curious about the gospel and about maybe the way that you live your life or the way that you live your life? Now, there's, there's things that happen when people become curious. First of all, and it's simple, they ask questions. Right? They ask questions about your faith, about your life, about your lifestyle, about why you make the choices that you're making. Not necessarily because they're ready at that point to hear the gospel, but they are kind of confused as to why you'd eat this, not that, or think this, not that, or do this on this day, not that. The second way we know that they're becoming curious is that they have a tendency to linger around a little bit. Even though you've given answers to those questions, they don't seem to leave. They want to stay after you have lunch and hang out just a little bit more because there's something that they need to hear and they hope that it comes from you. Even if they don't ask other questions, they don't leave. 
And then thirdly, they have a tendency to be available and they're waiting for you to give them an invitation, whether it's to church, whether it's to coffee on Friday morning here at the church, or whether it's just an opportunity to hang out together for more questions, for more curiosity, for more opportunity to have this conversation. And, and the reason why we know that this process is important is because we have the Old Testament that was preparing people to build into them a curiosity of who Jesus was. How did Scripture prepare people for Christ? And it's all over the Old Testament. Like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament today because that's a series coming up. But let's go to a, a seemingly random book, right? It's not random, but Malachi. Let's go to Malachi. You know, Malachi. You've all read it probably this week. Um, now Malachi, you don't go to Malachi that often. You don't wake up in the morning and think, Malachi, that's what I need today. You do that with Psalms sometimes, right? You're like, I just need to hear a word from God, something beautiful, something that could be a song. Nobody thinks that about Malachi. I don't even know Malachi thought that about Malachi. But it says something like this, the Lord of heaven's armies says, the day of judgment is coming burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like the straw. They will be consumed roots, branches, and all. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this doesn't sound very Jesus-y, right? But stick with me. He continues, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you'll go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. If you've never seen video of cows or horses or little goats running out to pasture, you don't know what this means. But this afternoon, when you YouTube it, <laughs> and I said this afternoon, not in church, but this afternoon, when you YouTube it, you will have the joy of watching a calf run out into the pasture and watch it like kick its legs up. And you know, I wouldn't call them spry necessarily, but they are super excited to be going out to pasture. So you'll understand this. In the midst of what is clearly a statement about judgment, we see an incredible bit of hope laid in to the text. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's army. Now, in the Old Testament, we do need to understand often the foreshadowing comes in the context of judgment. And it's so easy for us because we have a tendency to be so concerned about judgment, which by the way, is us forgetting how complete the salvation of Jesus is. But we have a tendency to look at judgment and be afraid and so we miss the hope, right? But the truth is that prophet Malachi was putting in to those words of judgment a clear word of hope about the son of righteousness who will rise. We see it again, probably most profoundly in the book of Isaiah, right? Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight a highway through the wasteland for our God. This is literally telling us that someone comes to prepare the soil for us to hear the word of God. I mean, it is literally saying that. It is, is clear. We're familiar with this text. But it's clear that a prophet's job was to clear the way, prepare the way for Jesus. You get to play a prophetic role in people's lives when you prepare the way for them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a prophetic and biblical role. Do you understand that? 
That's an incredible call to an incredible lineage of prophets who laid the foundation, who prepared the soil for people to understand and see who Jesus is. But we know this, many who saw Jesus did not recognize Jesus. And that's what happens when Jesus is thrust upon you too quickly. You may recognize that this is somebody who's important. This is somebody who has some sort of historical significance. Clearly churches seem to like him, but if you just see Jesus and you don't recognize who Jesus really is, then the soil was not quite prepared in the way that it should have been. And we know that John the Baptist did this in the New Testament, right? In the great prophetic tradition, John the Baptist was the one to clear the way for Jesus. In those days, it says in Matthew 3, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. In the prophetic tradition, right? Out in the wilderness, because prophets love the wilderness. He says, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Simple message. But remember, he's preparing people's hearts and people's characters because your character has to be prepared to see and meet and recognize Jesus as well. It's, it's really hard to see Jesus when you're arrogant. It's really hard to see Jesus when you're prideful. It's really hard to see Jesus when you're angry. And those are your issues, not Jesus's issues, remember. So our characters have to be prepared as well. You know, later Jesus picks up on this kingdom of heaven is near language when he's talking to the woman at the well. When he's saying, look, a time is coming and has now come. He's picking up on this, this anticipatory language that the kingdom of heaven is beginning to happen. And so he continues, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This Isaiah text is picked up on and there's this affirmation of the work that John is doing to prepare the soil for Jesus. Then in the book of Matthew, John kind of disappears. We don't spend a lot of time with him. So he sort of disappears and he shows up in Matthew 11. And this is important for us to understand because Jesus is about to, to affirm and confirm the ministry that John did in preparing the way for Jesus. So we're turning to Matthew 11, 1. It says, when Jesus had finished giving these instructions, it's just context now, to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, here he does, kind of abruptly shows back up. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus these particular questions, right? He wants to know what's really going on. So he asked the, the, the basic, most important question, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? This is the question that he sent his disciples with to Jesus. Now, it's, it'd be easy to say, wait a second, wasn't this John who prepared the way for Jesus? Why is he having an issue with this? Well, remember, he's human and two, he's in jail, which is not the way I think he was hoping this would all work out for him. So he's in jail and he's like, oh, this didn't quite work out the way that I hoped. I hope this is the guy. I would like it to be confirmed. So he sends his disciples to him. And yes, he still had disciples at this point. Many had gone to follow Jesus, but John still had some disciples that were following him. So Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. 
And then Jesus is going to tell him what they've seen and heard, right? And these are going to resonate with you. You're going to recognize these. It says, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. This is the Missio Dei, the mission of God. So what Jesus said back in Luke 4, when he expresses to his own synagogue, as he reads the Isaiah scroll, that, you know, the good news will be preached to the poor. There'll be, you know, mercy and compassion and justice, all this. And then he says, and by the way, in today, all of this is fulfilled in your hearing. If you remember the, the Luke 4 text, what you also remember is that the crowd went, uh, isn't this Joseph's son? What is he talking about? See, that foundation has not been laid for them yet. But he says, these are all the things that are happening. This is the Missio Dei. I'm right in line with not only the prophetic tradition, but what is clear was supposed to happen. And then he says, and tell them, tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Now, a better translation of this is probably, um, God blesses those who are not offended because of me. Now, why would people be offended by what Jesus was doing? right? Don't we, don't we like a healing story? We think that's great. Well, when you're healing and you're not getting confirmed of the healing in the temple, you're now subverting healthcare, just so you know, right? When you're telling people they don't need to go to the temple anymore because you'll be the sacrifice for them, you're subverting the religious system, right? Um, when, you, when you tell people that righteousness does not come from this, but it comes from me, you're subverting everything. When you tell people that, yeah, I guess you can give Caesar his due, but make sure you give God his due, you're now subverting a, a governmental system. You see, everything that Jesus was doing was absolutely, 100%, incredibly offensive. And good religious people aren't offensive. But good religious people are offended so he says, listen, God blesses those who do not turn away, who are not offended because of me, because their soil had been prepared. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about John to the crowds. He said, he said listen, what kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. They can't be bothered. What he's saying is, John wasn't what you were expecting, but John laid the foundation. He was effective in laying the foundation. And he said, were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. Now that's offensive words. Because in their tradition, nothing's really more important than a prophet, right? Um, you've got the patriarchs, you've got M Moses, right? You've got Noah, you've got these patriarchs, these amazing patriarchs. But, but in that tradition, in the Jewish tradition at the time, being connected to a prophet is incredible. It's better, it's bigger than a rabbi, right? And so he says, were you looking for a prophet? Yeah, you were, and you got one, but you also got more than a prophet. So what is more than a prophet? What Jesus was doing is he was bestowing the highest honor on John. And then he's saying, and there's, there's one more. Like it goes one level higher. And John is getting those accolades of being more than a prophet. 
And he says, why? Because John is the man to who the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending a messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. He quotes Isaiah again and shows them who John is and affirming what his ministry was. I says, I tell you the truth. All who've ever lived, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. That's a, that's a massive affirmation. But then he says, but even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than who John is. Jesus was brilliant here. He's affirming their belief in who John was, affirming their belief in him because John prepared the way for him and then gave them status in the kingdom of God. Saying it's a wise choice because even though he was more than a prophet, the least of you is more than him because you've now been entered into the kingdom of God because you've accepted the gospel and because you've accepted who Jesus is. That's laying a great foundation. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. He says, listen, you can't stop the progress that John made in preparation regardless of those who fight against it because in the world, there will always be people who misrepresent the gospel. There will always be people who are messing up the soil that God has been working on. And you will experience that as you prepare to give your witness to somebody else because they will be distracted by all the other voices that say, no, this is what God is. No, this is what Jesus wants. No, this is what it is. And all the political ideologies and all the, all the religious fanaticism, all the stuff that gets in the way of just a pure, simple understanding of the gospel, which is Jesus loves you so much that he died for you and he wants to be together with you forever so that you might live abundantly here on earth. And there's so many voices that are messing up the soil that the Holy Spirit is trying to prepare so that it can receive the gospel and bear good fruit. But Jesus wants to affirm John one more time. So he says this, for before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this time, right? So he's saying, listen, everything that you knew before, it's preparing you for now. Jesus was unequivocal in explaining to the world who he was. Jesus, as it says in mere Christianity, Jesus was not just a good man. Jesus was not just a great teacher. Jesus was either God or he was someone claiming such wildly outlandish claims that you cannot believe in him. Jesus didn't come to do anything less than save humanity. It was a big ask. And he says, and if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, and he just connects him to their biggest prophet, the one the prophet said would come. And then he throws in that phrase that is always important for us to hear. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand, should see and recognize. And then Jesus has a little bit of frustration. He says, listen, to what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. They don't understand what's happening really. He warns them that they're not listening. They're not recognizing. 
The rest of this text is an admonition for those who can see but do not recognize. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is the question that I asked at the beginning, first to the person that you are to witness to, which is how is God preparing their soil, their hearts, their character to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? But then the second question, which is important for us today as well, is this. How is God preparing you to share the gospel? Because God is calling you to be a John the Baptist, to prepare the way of the Lord in someone's life, to be the words that, that create clarity and that build a, a, a basket of acceptance for the gospel that you're going to pour in there. And I get it. It's a big it's a big ask. Right? I don't think anybody got into this life saying, you know, I really believe I'm called to be the next John the Baptist. I didn't. I'm sure you didn't. But in very individual ways, we will be John the Baptist to people. Just like I said last week, sometimes we're the Ethiopian and sometimes we're Philip. Sometimes we are called to be John the Baptist and we're moving into a season. This is going to sound so churchy. I'm so sorry, but just stick with me. We're going to be moving into a season of harvesting. I can't even believe I'm saying this. I sound so like traditionally like old school Adventist. I am. But I, uh, if you've been laying the foundation, if you've been praying and the Holy Spirit's been doing his work, which the Holy Spirit does, we're going to move into a season of harvesting. We're going to be moving into a season where people are going to ask you questions that you are God-ordained to answer for them about what God has done for you. And, and listen, your job is not to convince anybody how good Jesus is. Jesus is amazing. You don't have to convince anyone that Jesus is good. All you have to do is give an honest witness of what he's done in your life. When you do that, you will begin to see a harvest. You'll begin to see people who say, you know what, maybe I do want this in my life. Maybe I do want to go to church with you. Maybe I do want to be baptized. Maybe I would like to be a part of the kingdom that God is building through Crosswalk Church or through other churches as well. It certainly doesn't have to be us. We don't have a corner on that market by any means. But I think there's a real timeliness to what God is calling us to today. Not just because Easter's coming, right? That comes every year. But because people are in need of a renewed sense of who Jesus is in the world. People need the pure gospel. Not the social media gospel. Not the political gospel. Not, the, not, not, not what they need is Jesus deeply planted into their hearts. And you're the ones called to do that. In, in June, I have to speak at a pastor's convention. They're calling it the called convention for all the pastors in North America. And I just got my topic today. Not today, it was Thursday, but um, this week. I just got the topic. And my topic is evangelism. 
you know, why the church needs to grow. And um, I was thinking about it. I, I was thinking about, you know, what I'm going to say. And I know that probably what I'm going to say is a lot like what you hear here week after week, which is we've been called to expand the kingdom of God. And that expansion of the kingdom of God doesn't happen because you have good pastors. It happens because God has placed a desire in your heart for someone else to know the peace that you know, for someone else to know the hope that you know, for someone else to know the abundance that you know, for somebody else to experience the life that can be had in Jesus. And right now, we have to be those John the Baptists. We have to be those Old Testament as we prepare people the way of the Lord so that at some point they can make the decision and fruit grows from their decisions to follow Jesus. What we've learned in this series is that everything's a witness. Everything good in our lives, everything bad in our lives, everything's a witness to the people around us. You are gonna have opportunities that you never thought you were gonna have for the people that you've been praying for. And even if you haven't been praying for somebody, other people have been praying and the Holy Spirit's gonna put you in a situation where you are going to give the gospel in ways you never thought you would, in words you didn't think you had. And people will be saved because of your willingness to witness. And by the way, that's how revivals start. Revivals don't start by people begging and pleading for the Holy Spirit to come. Revivals start by recognizing that the Holy Spirit has been working already. By recognizing that the Holy Spirit is moving already. And that all we have to do is open our eyes to that and get on with the tides of the work that God is already doing. And so if you want to see revival, because I want to see revival, if you want to see revival, just be available to witness and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we ask for a revival, the beginnings of a revival. I'm not sure we're ready for a full-blown revival yet, Lord, but let us, let us be those people that help lay that foundation, be those people who help create the opportunities for you to be seen and for you to be recognized. Lord, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, and Lord, may we be those John the Baptist when you need us to be that are connected to those Elijahs, that are connected to those patriarchs that are the whole of the Old Testament screaming out as a witness to you. And Lord, may we recognize what you did while you were here, healing, compassion, mercy, justice, all so that the kingdom of heaven can grow and that people can live the lives that we were supposed to live when you created us, fully connected to you and fully connected to one another. We pray this in your holy name, the name of Jesus today, Lord. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.